just take a second. Just listen to the rain. Isn't that peaceful? That's so peaceful. I love that sound. I love that sound. We're home, and if it's warm enough outside and the rain's coming down, I like to just, like, open the windows or open the, you know, patio doors or whatever it is and just listen to it. It's so soothing. And um, anyway, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But I just wanted to say, take a breath. Take a minute, because I know uh, life is busy and life is crazy, and uh, this is an opportunity as we gather together just to center ourselves, to ground ourselves, to take a minute to breathe, to think, to process, and to move forward in our life. And so thank you so much for joining us here for this today. Uh, we did start a brand new series last week. So if you missed it last week, there's not too much to catch up on. All you got to do is go back and listen to the message from last week. Uh, but we're doing this thing that we do from time to time where we're doing our weekend service where we're teaching, and then we're uh, doing a sermon-based study guide in our groups during the week. And so I know a lot a lot of you are already in groups. Some of you may not be. Now is the time to join those groups. And there are plenty of them, and they are open to you, all of them. And so I want to encourage you to check that out. You can do that at the Resource Center. You can also check those things out on the website. There's a place that I think says Connect on the website, and you'll find it there. Um, we're doing a series called Solid Ground. We've already talked about this a good bit. Now, for those of you, uh, first of all, that don't know me, my name is John. That's all you need to know about me for now. Uh, but last week, we start, kicked things off with the first part of Matthew chapter 5, because we're doing the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what we're covering. And uh, we started with a section called the Beatitudes, where Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and several other things, and talked about how that is the way to be blessed. And when he says blessed there, he means happy, fulfilled. It's an internal blessing, not a thing from the outside in. Okay, So we talked about how to be fulfilled, blessed, happy last week in the message, but the tag on that, the sort of catch, was that Jesus said, Blessed are you when they persecute you for righteousness' sake. So the, the short story on that is, the reality is if we're, working, if we're living in a flipped upside-down way, in a way that the, the rest of the world doesn't work, then we are going to face hardship as a result of living that way. Persecution is going to come, and so we need to be prepared. But if we know we're being faithful, then that persecution is a good thing because we, it's confirmation we're doing the right things, and we know we're going to be rewarded later. So that's like the Cliff's Notes version of last week. But there was plenty more, uh, plenty more there that you can go check out. Um, but he said that persecution was going to come. And, uh, I, you know, I thought of something af after the, the message last week. I, I don't want us to be confused about something. Um, that if we're being faithful to God, that persecution and challenge is going to come to us. And that is in some way a confirmation of what we, that we're doing the right things. But we have to be careful because just because we're facing struggle or hardship or persecution doesn't mean we're doing the right things. Okay. You wouldn't want to jump to that conclusion, like, like, oh, I know I'm doing the right thing because I'm facing persecution. Well, no, not necessarily. Sometimes we're facing persecution because we're doing the wrong thing, too. Does that make sense? Like, like, just hardship isn't confirmation that everything's going right in your life. That's what I'm saying. It's just that when you know confirmation that you're doing the right things is you know you're doing the right things. And then as persecution comes, you let that slide off your back because you know you're doing the right things. But one thing that I see, and, and, and I just, I, it's a frustration that I have with Christians in America, and surely with none of you, but a frustration that I have with Christians in America is that there are Christians that are out there doing, in some cases, the right things the wrong way, or doing the wrong things, and they're facing persecution as a result of that, and then they're celebrating it as if they're doing the right thing, all right? So we need to hold our life up to the standard that Jesus set. 
So Jesus said, you know, blessed are the meek, right? Kind, loving, caring, gentle. Blessed are the gentle. Or blessed are the peacemakers. And there are Christians out there that on what they think are good grounds are creating havoc. And then they're facing persecution because of that. And they're like, oh, I must be doing the right thing. No, you're not. (laughs) Because you're making war, not peace. And we're supposed to make peace. That's what Jesus said. There are Christians out there that are being prideful or judgmental or angry or violent and saying, oh, I'm facing persecution because I'm prideful, angry, violent, aggressive. And so it must mean I'm doing the right thing. No. The scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so the Christians out there that are not being the beatitude things, maybe facing persecution or maybe facing difficulty, but in some cases that may not be coming from the outside. (laughs) That may actually be God (laughs) doing that. So we just need to be careful. I just felt like afterward I needed to be careful to say just because you're facing persecution does not mean that you're doing the right things. But when you know you're doing the right things, you will face persecution. All right, I hope that makes sense. I wanted to clarify that, and I may have made it more muddy, but nevertheless, wanted to say that before we moved on with what we're going to talk about today, before we get to this stuff today. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I see Christians being hateful, judgmental, arrogant, obstinate, contentious, and greedy. They're calling opposition persecution. They wear it as a badge of honor, and it, it's not what it is. And so we got to make sure that we are holding ourselves up against the standard of the character that Jesus discussed in the Beatitudes. That's what we need to do. And then if we face persecution for righteousness' sake, we can count that as a blessing, and we can count that as joy. All right? Jesus is in the process of setting up this contrast between what a Christian, what a, what a follower of him is supposed to look like, and what the rest of the world looks like. And if you are contrasting with the rest of the world, then people are going to take notice of that. That's why persecution, in some cases, may come. Now, what we're going to read today, we're going to continue reading in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and head there um, to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to give three examples of what this contrast should look like. Okay, so you're you're being this kind of person, and there's difficulty now that's coming because of that, you need to stay strong. And here's how you stay strong. Here's three examples of how you're going to continue to live out this character. All right. So Matthew chapter five, verse 13, we're going to start in 13. We left off with 12 last week, pick up in 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So this is the first example. Uh, The first analogy, Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. Now, that's, that's a phrase, right? That's a phrase that we use today. You ever heard that phrase? Like, oh, yeah, well, Joe, he's uh, the guy's the salt of the earth, Right? You didn't like that? Jess looked at me like that. Was was that weird? You not heard it that way? When someone says, oh, yeah, oh, Jess, she is the salt of the earth. <laughs> salt, you ever heard that phrase? What does it mean? It means they're, they're, they're down to earth, they're humble, they're genuine, you know? That's, that's the way that phrase has come to be used. 
All right, that's not exactly how Jesus is using that phrase. We're going to talk about what he's saying here with this phrase, um, but that's sort of a more modern thing. I think the, the first recorded usage of salt of the earth as just a normal, humble, down-to-earth, everyday person um, was uh, the author Chaucer, okay, classic literature. Chaucer was the first one to use that phrase, and then it became used within circles in that way, but that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. That was the kids, right? That's the kids. Sorry, I just heard the kids shout. I'm a little distracted today. I gotta level with you, okay? Like every little thing. I'm anyway. A squirrel, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a problem. It's because I'm wearing a colorful shirt. Jess is right. I'm feeling a little colorful today. Um, she, we told the, everyone this in circle up. She told me I needed some new shirts for preaching in that I needed to go get something colorful. So. Yeah, that's why I was at Kohl's. Yeah, that's right. And so <laughs> one trip to Kohl's and a few shirts off the uh, clearance rack, and here I am in a green shirt. So the other shirts I got were, uh, were gray and black and, and white and gray. So, yeah, so <laughs> I'm really expanding, expanding the wardrobe. So I'm feeling a little colorful today. Yeah, so I'm a little, little distracted. But, um, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's off topic. Let's talk about salt, Okay. Uh, let's talk about salt for a minute, and I know some of you are thinking, oh, great, here we go, another food sermon. Like, have, haven't, we talked, haven't we talked enough about food lately? Like, yeah, he's probably going to bring up Mambo Grill again. Yeah. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to bring up that their vodka frita is one of the most crispy, salty, delicious things you'll ever taste in your entire life, but I won't bring that up. All right, we're just going to talk about salt, and that's it, okay? Let's talk about salt. Um, why would Jesus say you are the salt of the earth? Now, actually, that might, be a, that might be a little confusing, actually, because if you salt the earth, right, it kills things, doesn't it? Too much salt in the soil will kill what's around it. So salting the earth is, is not a good thing. At least you might think that, but you have, to, you have to drop back into the day when Jesus is sharing this with the people that are listening and say, what would that mean to them? If, if Jesus said, you were the salt of the earth, what would they immediately picture? And they only have, by the way, about three seconds to, to think about this idea, you are the salt of the earth, as he's speaking to them, and then he's moving on to something else. So you have to look and say, okay, what would their quick reaction to that analogy be? What, what is salt to them? And salt for people at this time was an incredibly useful and valuable thing. It would, have, it would have immediately become like one of the most useful things you would think of in your house would be salt. Like if you think about cooking, what's one of the most useful things you have in your cabinet? Salt, right? It goes, in, it goes in everything. And salt was used so many different ways for them. Uh, first of all, actually, uh, salt is a, uh, an effective fertilizer, but you just can't have too much of it. Too much of it, and it kills everything, a little bit of it, and it actually acts as a fertilizer. So they would use it as a fertilizer. They would use it as a preservative, that, which was really important to them because they didn't have freezers. So they had to preserve things, and they would use salt in order to do that. Um, they would use salt as a cleaning product. You ever use salt as... In cleaning, uh, it's a very effective cleaning product when you mix it with vinegar or whatever else, right? And so they used it for cleaning. They used it, um, of course, as a seasoning on their foods too, right? And, and salt is an essential part of our diet. We have to have salt in order to survive. And so they would have just immediately identified salt as this widely useful thing, okay? And so Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, Salt makes things grow faster, last longer, stay cleaner, and taste better. It's a good thing, right? And so they immediately would have recognized it as a good thing and as a useful and effective thing in their lives. It was a tool that they would use. It was, it was like the magic ingredient for them. It was one of the most important things that they have. Like, 
Like, it was the secret ingredient, okay? Like, and they would have known that immediately. It's a secret ingredient, just like it is for us. And I talk to some people, and, and they cook for us, and they're like, oh, what's in this? And they're like, oh, my magic ingredient is love. And it's like, that's nice. I feel like it should have been salt, though. Um, <laughs> you know, none of you, again, this would be other people. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the magic ingredient. And they just immediately would have gone there, okay? And I know when it comes to salt, I've seen, heard in so many different sermons about this. You are the salt of the earth. And I've heard people go into so much detail about what salt is and what it means. And it's a preservative. And so Jesus is telling them that they need to preserve the world from sin. And so, and you can take each one of these attributes of salt and like dig way down into it. But at the same time, you have to realize the people he was speaking to didn't have time to, to, to pull salt apart that much. And so you can almost overanalyze things. And if you're not careful, you can overanalyze things and end up down a road Jesus never intended for you to end up down. I think it's important on this analogy just to stay with the surface thing and say, what is he saying? You are the effect of the world. You are the change agent in the world. Okay? You, you are the life in the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are salt of the world. And so you need to understand your role as that change agent. If you behave the way and you be, become the person that we've been talking about, meek and humble and all, all these things that he's talked about in the Beatitudes, and even when persecution is coming, you continue doing these things, you are going to be an agent of good and change in the world, just like salt is an agent of good and of change. This is about who you are and continuing in this. You have the good news. And so you need to be effective in the world, impactful in the world, in the same way that salt is impactful on whatever it touches, however it touches it. That's right, okay? So you just boil it down. This is all it is. Jesus is telling you to be salty. You be salty. For those of you, you know, children of the 90s and 80s and 90s, I'm not talking about the singing songbook, okay? I'm talking about being salty, all right? And by the way, he said, uh, you are the salt of the earth, not just you are the salt of the Jews to them at the time, and that's an important statement. That, that impact would be everywhere, not just with their own people, all right? And so I'm going to ask you a question. We're going to ask a few questions as we go through today, as we go through these, these few analogies. A simple one to begin with, are you salty? As, as God is transforming your character to become, come into alignment with the character of Christ and all the things that we talked about last week, is that having an impact on the world around you? Your life, your community, your job, your school, your family, your friends, your social media network, your everything, everything that you have going on around you, are you seasoning it? All right, are you being effective around you? Now, the warning that he gives is that if you're not careful, is that you could lose your saltiness. What could assault if it loses its saltiness? Actually, the word he uses means uh, to become foolish, all right, or useless, to become useless. A useful thing can become useless. Now, I know some people look at this analogy, and they're like, well, they, they put on their glasses, and they slide them up on their nose, and they say, actually, uh, salt is uh, sodium chloride, NaCl, and uh, because it's a chemical property, it's not able to lose its saltiness. So uh, perhaps Jesus didn't know what he was talking about because salt cannot become unsalty. <laughs> Like, put your book away for a second. Jesus is just trying to make an analogy, <laughs> first of all. Second of all, um, it's a principle thing, all right, not a chemical thing. Jesus is not making some sort of scientific chemical argument. He's speaking to generally unscientific people to begin with, all right? And secondly, 
Uh, there is some argument that in the area that the salt is very impure, and because uh, the salt was impure, uh, you could have a block of salt, but over time, the salt could, the NACL, could actually leach out of it, and you'd be left with something that wasn't actually salty. So they would have salt blocks in their home, and they would throw them out every five years. There's actually salt deposits, or what used to be salt deposits, around the, the Dead Sea area, where, of course, there's a lot of salt, and... Um, that are not salty at all. So whatever he's saying doesn't really matter. The point is well taken. The point he's trying to say is you are supposed to have an effect on the world around you. But if you stop having an effect on the world around you, if you lose that saltiness, what good is that? What does it do? Nothing. It might as well be gravel. Might as well be gravel. You might as well just throw it down on the path and walk on it because it's not good or effective or valuable like the way It was before. He said, who? The point is well taken. And so, and there can be times in our life where we are being salty, and then there can be times in our life where we lose our saltiness. Or situations in our life where we find that it's easier for us to be salty and have an effect on that situation, but then other situations in our life where we just go back into our shell, like a, like a turtle, you know, pulling back from that impact and that effect because of the people that we're with or the situation that we're in. What good is salt if it's not salty? That's the point of it. And, and Jesus, Jesus said, he said, um, uh, you're the salt of the earth, but if, it lose, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? How else is the world going to be impacted if we are not impacting the world? It's our responsibility. We are the salt of the earth, and so we are supposed to season. We are supposed to affect the world. And if we don't do it, who's going to do it? That's the point. It's not good for anything at that point. It's just gravel. So we should be living differently. It should be noticeable. And we should be thinking about our role in all of our environments and how we are going to bring that character that he talked about in the Beatitudes to bear in that situation to be effective. All right. So he starts with salt. And then he keeps going. Verse 14 First says you're salt of the earth. Now, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. All right. You are the light of the world. Now, this is really interesting because generally speaking, the, uh, the character trait of being the light is reserved for Jesus himself or for God. This, I think this is the only place in Scripture where we are called light. Everywhere else, it's us shining the light of someone else. But Jesus chooses to look at them and say, you are the light of the world. Of course, they don't burn on their own. They burn because of the light of Christ in them. But he says, you are the light. You're the salt and you're the light. A city on a hill, a city that's set on a hill, cannot be hidden. Now, his point here, the, the word hill is actually, is also the word for mountain. So you can say mountain as well. Jesus doesn't want them to think of like Dunn's Mountain, okay? He doesn't want them to think of that's, it doesn't qualify. Let's be clear about that. We have a mountain in Salisbury. It's called Dunn's Mountain. It's not a mountain, okay? For the, it is a, it's a hill, Okay, it's a slope of some kind. I, I, I understand that it used to be larger, but they mined the granite out of it, and it's like sunk or whatever, but that's fine. I don't know what it was, but I know what it is. Um, and it's a high spot for us, for sure. Um, it's an elevated place, but it's not a mountain. Okay, anyway, let's just be clear about that. And Jesus says, uh, but Jesus says, even if a city were built on Dunn's Mountain, okay, a city that is built on a hill 
cannot be hidden. Particularly, he says you're the light, so think about a city like that at night. If it's built on top of a mountain and there are fires burning and candles lit and all of that going on, you would see it from miles away. It's intended to be seen. Otherwise, it would not have been built on the hill. So a city that's been placed intentionally, he said, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So if we are putting this character to play in place in our life, our character drives our behavior, we are choosing to be salt and to be a ch- agent of change in the world around us, and we set ourselves on the hill, that can't be hidden so that everyone will see. We need to be seen. If we're shining light, there is no hiding it. There's no hiding it. It'll be seen. It'll be noticed. So I want to ask you the the second question, the first one. Are you salty? The second question, are you seen? Are you seen by your friends and the character and what God's doing in your life? Are you seen by people at work? Are you seen by your children, by your grandchildren as transformed and different? Are you seen by your community for who you are? who God is making you to be? Are you living in a way that is unavoidably noticeable to the people around you? Are you salty and are you seen? He continues with light now in verse 15, but he changes his analogy a little bit. Verse 15. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, I I am, um, I grew up in church, okay? Uh, You know, she already knows where this is going. I grew up in church. I'm a child of the 80s, okay? Which means I am a child of cute church songs. Uh, and there is one that I cannot, cannot, cannot go through this message without singing. Some of you are going to know it. Some of you may not. It's okay. I'm not sure you're missing out on a lot. But there's a song that I grew up singing, and every time I read this scripture, I cannot not sing it. There are, do you want to do the come up and do the motions? She doesn't? No. She just, <laughs> you want her to come up and do the motions. Yeah. <laughs> I see. All right. No, we're not going <laughs> to. Maybe if I wasn't married to her, but I can't, I can't make her do that. All right. But the song, the song goes, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And then there's, there's a verse that I grew up singing, but I, as I was looking into lyrics, I, I didn't, not every version of this song has these lyrics in it, but, but maybe you'll know it. Don't let Satan blow it out. Yeah, you can either say blow or you can go. <laughs> yeah. Don't let Satan 
it out. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Some of you are like, weird, man. Like, <laughs> but you know, you know how it is, like songs you grow up with. Oh, man, yeah, like, th- we grew up with that, I- that idea. Uh, one thing I think is interesting about that song, I never thought about it until, um, until this week. Like, yeah, obviously we don't want Satan to blow our light out, but the, the reality is he can't. And, and, and what Jesus is talking about here, like, frankly, we give Satan a lot more credit than he deserves, okay? He can't make you do things like that. Uh, what Jesus is talking about here is not Satan coming in and taking your light away or whatever. It's you doing it. It's me doing it. It's me. It's, it's taking this light that I have, this change that's happening in my life, this person that I'm becoming, and hiding it away from the world. He's like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? It's, it's, it's foolish. It's pointless. Why would you be doing this? We're supposed to not only be transforming and changing, but letting others see that transformation, putting it out for everyone to see. And when we do that, they notice. I mean, verse, verse 15 seems pretty obvious and maybe even a little bit ridiculous. Like, yeah, yeah, who would put a lamp under a basket? This is a, it's a bushel. It's a standard thing everybody would have in their house from, from measuring grain out uh, and being consistent. But like, yeah, of course, why would you do that? That's, that feels really foolish and silly. And, and that's one of the techniques that Jesus uses over and over and over again, by, by the way, in his ministry. He uses um, uh, uh, hyperbole, yeah, where he, where he says something ridiculous, something outlandish, and it is designed to, to be like, yeah, obviously that's ludicrous. Like when he says uh, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, it's, it's intentionally outlandish. Obviously, a camel can't go through the eye of a needle. Um, but verse 16, I think, is where we really see the direction and the motivation laid out. All right? He's, he says, let your light shine before men. What, what are you afraid of? That's why it's there. So let it shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That they may see your good works. When, when he says good works, I, 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 I like taking um, and doing sort of my own paraphrases or, or translations of things into words that sometimes just poetic. It, it, it changes the meaning or gives a little flavor to it. But, but you can take this phrase, good works, and you can substitute the phrase, beautiful produce. And I don't know why for me that really rings home. Like the beautiful product of your life. Take what God is doing in you and the transformation and the change that you see in this character and let, it, let people see it like this beautiful transformation and growth and thing that's happening in your life. And when that comes out, frankly, in the most unlikely situations, even when persecution is coming or difficulty is coming or hardship is coming, when that is what comes out of you, people look at that and they go, oh my goodness, where did that come from? They should be furious right now and they're not they they should be devastated by this and they're not why what is what is happening with that person what is going on inside of that person and that when people see that 
in you, that they would make the connection and give glory to God in heaven. This is not to give glory to you or to me. This is not to put ourselves on display for everybody to see so that they will think we're incredible or think we're amazing or think we're so patient or think we're so kind or whatever. This is not a self-building thing. This is so God will receive the glory. Our Father. This is one of the key problems with the religious leaders, and he's really going to dig into this over the the, uh, other parts of this sermon the problem, one of the big problems with the religious people that are leading uh, his listeners at the time, one of the biggest problems with them is that they're doing all of these good things, good works. But first of all, they're not doing them out of a genuine place of transformation and light. And they're not doing them so that people will glorify God. They're doing these things so people will glorify them. It's one of the biggest problems they've got. And so they've got to flip this. They've got to change this. They've got to change the way they're thinking. And so we need to learn this, that it's the inside coming out. And there's a beautiful product that happens when that comes out. And then when people see it, they take notice. And they don't give glory to us, and they don't lift us up, but they lift up the Father. Uh, Matthew is going to call God Father 44 times in his gospel. That term, Father, whether it's Jesus saying it or someone else saying it, that term Father is going to be brought into Matthew's gospel 44 times. It's really important to him. It's important to him that we and his, all of his readers learn to look at God that way. This is the first time it's used. And so Jesus, when he says that that if you live this way, if you, are, if you are salt in the world and you are a city set on a hill and you are a light on a lampstand to the entire house, that, they are, that that will result in good works that will bring glory to the Father. That may have been the thing in this entire sermon that caught them more than anything else. That not, he didn't say, he didn't say, my Father. He said, your Father. The healthy relationship between a child and their father is a beautiful thing. Now, we live in a world that is full of sin, and so very rarely is there one of those. (laughs) They are all disrupted by sin. But the relationship between us and our father need not be. And so the idea here is an idea of family and love and honor and respect that my, the goal in my life is to be transformed, for, yes, for my benefit, but so that I can impact the world so that they can see the love and power and glory of my Father, not me. And so as we do all of this and talk about all of this ground and this foundation setting that we're going to be doing throughout this series, we need to always remember the end goal, and that is to bring love, honor, respect, and glory to our Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus is pointing them and showing them how they are going to continue in this and how they are going to bring glory to him as they do. So the question is, are we salty and are we seen? And then, are we shining? Are you shining? 
the glory of God into everything in your life. And yes, they all start with S, and I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> are you salty? Are you seen? And are you shining? The purpose of shining our light is not to get glory, but it's to bring glory to God. That other people might see his love. First of all, his love expressed for them in the cross. Jesus Christ dying on their behalf. Raised again in power and glory on the third day. Rising from the dead. And that maybe by the way that we live and the way that we shine light and the way that we salt and the way that we set ourselves on a hill, that maybe somebody in our life, someone close to us or someone who just observes us from afar, might recognize and realize that Jesus Christ gave his life for them and that he rose again and that they can turn to him in faith and accept salvation through Jesus. And that would be perhaps the greatest honor we could ever be a part of in our life. Some people have called that lifestyle evangelism, living in such a way that people see the way you live and then meet Jesus as a result. And that is a powerful way to reach people. But it is not the only way we should reach people. It's a piece of a greater puzzle. But it's a beautiful thing when it happens. Or perhaps it's somebody in our life who already knows Jesus, has already accepted salvation, but their light's under a basket. They're salt, they're, they're gravel at this point in their life. They're, they've come down off of the hill. And so they just look like the rest of the world. They're just going with the flow and doing what everyone else does. But they look at us and they look at our life and they realize, man, i got to get back at it here. I see what's happening in them. And I realize I'm disconnected from God and I need to get back in fellowship with him. And so they begin making changes in their life, and they start shining light, and they start doing the things that they see us doing. What a great honor. Not, not, not for lifting ourselves up, but to know that God receives more glory, God receives more honor, more worship is, is sent to him. Like this is, It's a beautiful thing to be a part of. So it's this transformation that we're making in ourselves through the power of the Spirit, but pouring out to everyone around us so that they too can experience the same thing that God is doing in and through us. And so as we think about this, I want to hold yourself up against those questions. Am I salty? Am I seen? Am I shining? And then when you get together with your group this week, you're going to talk about each one of those things and have an opportunity to say, yeah, I feel like this is an environment where I'm really getting, really, really doing well here. And maybe this is one where I've dropped it. This is, a, this is a place where I feel intimidated or scared or whatever else may be. And when you do that in your group this week, it's going to give you an opportunity to, first of all, just confess it, to get it out and be honest about it, but then also to find a group of people that I can promise you are doing this, having the same issues, same frustrations. They've been there. They are there. And then together you can say, let's work on this. Let's check in with each other. Let's make sure next week when we get back together, at the very least, we're checking back on this stuff. And when you get together in group this week, you're going to follow up on some of your stuff from last week too. All right, so I want you to encourage you to really start processing this. Let it sink in deep. Hold yourself up honestly as in a mirror. Um, and uh, together we are going to become more and more and more effective uh, for God and his kingdom. All right, let's pray together. Father, we come to you and um, first of all, we just want you to know how much we love you. 
You are the name that is above all names. You are wise and you are true and you are good. And so we come to your feet right now and express to you our need for you. We need you to transform us. We need you to change us. We need you to empower us and direct us. We want you to transform us, to continue molding us into who you created us to be, to create this foundation for us on which we build the rest of our life, a foundation of character and faith and love and hope. As we wait for your return, Jesus, we want to be all of those things you said that we were. We want to be salty salt. We want to be high cities. We want to be bright light. So God, help us. Show us right now. Show us in our life where we've lost our flavor, where where we haven't been impacting the way that you want us to impact, where we've hidden ourselves, where we've climbed down amongst the trees instead of being up on the hill, where we've covered up the light For whatever reason that may be, show us where those areas are in our life. And give us courage right now. Give us boldness. Give us resilience and strength. Because what you're doing in us is unbelievable. It's totally undeserved. And if you're doing this in us and transforming us into these kinds of people, people who are meek and humble and kind and gentle and peacemakers and lovers of righteousness, if you're doing this in us, we want to see the people around us that we love so much, that we care about, that we interact with all the time, we want to see them transform in these same ways. So there's no reason, God, there's no reason for us to hide it. It's silly. Yet we do, and it's, it's often fear that does that. So remove that from us. Give us confidence to be who you created us to be, no matter what the cost of that is. Even if it means persecution, even if it means losing something here. Help us to be who you created us and are creating us to be. God, I pray is for us as a church. We're in this together. We're helping each other. We're growing together. This is, this is a safe place for us to be honest, to love each other, to be in fellowship with each other. Help us to be like the lampstand that's holding up light to our community, to, our, to each other so that together we can move, together we can change. And as we change, we see the world around us change. And notice that we're not like everyone else. 
Let it be evident in us, God. Let it be obvious in us. Let it be the first thing that people see. As we do this, God, we need your spirit. We need him to speak to us, to illuminate scripture to us, to illuminate things in our life. We need him to change things about the the way that we speak, the way that we relate to people, to change from the inside out. We need him to give us strength. We need him to give us gifts to use, to impact. And so we're asking right now, we're asking God that you would lead us in him, empower us in him. And then as we faithfully follow and we faithfully step forward, our prayer, our desire, God, is one thing above all. Your glory. Your glory. Our Father in heaven. Holy be your name. As we step forward, God, as we make decisions, as we, even as we move throughout this day, this one in front of us right now, may our lives shine light that puts on display good works that others may bring glory to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.